surprise of the Tomb Raider, Keeping Chickens, and Stella from Stella's Tomb Raider site. This is Staying In. I visit Poppy quite a lot when I get around to Sam and, and his girlfriend Lisa's, and uh, Poppy's never really liked me because for one of the first times I met her, I accidentally sat on her nearly. Because oh, no. um, she's quite a small little dog. That makes an kind impression. Of, it does make an impression. And, and, you know, they say elephants never forget, but uh, dogs don't, it seems. Little dogs, little white dogs. And she <laughs> kind of blended into the sofa. And I didn't realise. You thought she was a furry uh, cushion. So every time we have this kind of standoff, whenever I go around there, and it's just this kind of a couple of seconds of just sizing each other up, me always being apologetic, and Poppy just slowly begrudgingly forgiving me. Well, I mean, we're not out of the woods yet, but we turned, we turned the corner. She doesn't go behind you. No, 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 never, never, no. <laughs> the, fun, the funny thing is, is that dogs don't have a great memory, but they just remember kind of locations and situations. Sure, sure. I so, remember the smell of that guy and he yeah, sat on me she and now I hate know, him forever. She doesn't know why she's scared of Chris, but she just knows that she is. <laughs> a and vague unease. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean... <laughs> Bearing in mind that you and Lisa have moved house, Sam, so sh- literally it's it's not even the right place or time anymore. No, no. It's not, it's not even the same sofa, is it? Uh, it's the same sofa. Oh, that could be it. But... Sofa-dependent learning. <laughs> yeah, so I just <laughs> to avoid that sofa. Yeah, and I, just, I was just sitting down and watching um, Mission Impossible Rogue Nation, at which she was fast asleep, and I thought, brilliant, we're going to be able to record in like peace and serenity. And I took her out just before we were recording, but now she's all excited and happy. Okay. She sl- she managed to sleep through Mission Impossible, though. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. She slept <laughs> through yeah. the action film. But not film you of... <laughs> using a mouse and a keyboard. That's just too much for her. And, and, and uh, Stella, you, you have, is it ducks? You have... I have ducks and chickens. I have ducks three ducks. Jake, wow. Brenda, and Louise. <laughs> and my oh, chickens yeah. are not named, but my son decided to name the ducks because he loves them. I used to live in a village and I used to look after neighbours' chickens for them when they were on holiday. And it was immensely satisfying, if not a little bit terrifying, because there comes a point where I get to the corner of the room and I turn around and there's all these chickens. And I'd, I'd literally be penned in by these chickens. When they know uh, you're bringing something, they just yeah, rush exactly. you. And they are little reptiles, like there's no getting around that. So, so do you get, are you daily getting like eggs and stuff? Oh and yeah, things? not oh, so much wow. when the weather um, gets cold and the sun sets early. They don't lay as much, but they they do. They still do. And why? And why ducks and chickens? My why, mother wanted it? ducks. My mom ah. lives. Uh, we we share a house. She has an apartment upstairs, and I we have downstairs. And she's been wanting ducks for years and years. And she finally just got them. She went um to a, one of those uh. Like Agway, I don't know if you guys have that here, but there, but it's like a um, feed store where they sell animals in the spring and stuff like that. And her oh, friend God. said, oh, you want these ducks? I'll buy them for you. So, <laughs> so she got ducks. And we had um, two originally. Um, one met an unfortunate end, and then she got two more. So now we have three. We had, wow. my, my parents had chickens once. And, and they're a little, like, pardon the pun, but they are a little bit foul. Like they are, there is there is a section of my dad's garden that has not grown back since they were. You can't let them into the place where you want to grow something. They no, just, no, they kind of. Um, and eventually, uh, my mum didn't like them, and me and my dad were kind of caring for them. And my dad works at a like a boarding school, and they had like this walled garden. My dad thought I'll just keep them in there, and he and he, my dad left them in there, with just like loads and loads of food and then kind of just like left them and right <laughs> and one of them died from obesity um it pretty much they just started eating themselves to death because there was no oh like God. regulation on you know we weren't like bringing them food every day like i'm sure you meant to do if you're keeping them mm-hmm. responsibly you just kind of left them with food and we we they, we ended up with about three of them and two of them we gave to the person who helped us um, butcher and like prepare them for food and we had one mm-hmm. of them for christmas and it was over a stone in weight apparently wow this chicken <laughs> we had. i mean sam i feel very Giant. lucky that i mean I, we, I feel very lucky to have you as my colleague i was expecting as a as a three-year-old your dad just leaving you in a room with like a ton of farley's rusks my dad would be at the library He'd be like, here's here's a sandwich. I'll see you in a few hours. <laughs> oh, God. Because your dad, I mean, your dad, Sam, there's logic there. I mean, your dad is, that is the appropriate amount of food for a chicken to eat. But as you say, it, it was needs giving to be it to the measured. Chicken. Yeah. 
all they can't really self-regulate no no they just they just that's one thing i learned about chickens is you just if you were to give them like access to food they just wouldn't stop they just eat and eat and eat or if they think they're going to be deprived then they'll go overboard yeah (sighs) so much the chickens it was a great Um, christmas though that that chicken was oh you imagine the fatty consistency of of like (laughs) duck meat but the it's quantity like times yeah. <laughs> but yeah the quantity <laughs> of a turkey or a goose um, magical magical Christmas But speaking of chickens, wow. um, this is a lovely segue. Stella, you will say, appreciate this. Is this the perfect segue. Perfect segue because Sam, you won't know this, but there's a section in Rise of the Tomb Raider where I've not done this yet, but you uh, get a little bonus if you capture these chickens and put them in their coop. You literally, Lara Croft really? carries them under her arm. Yeah. And at the moment, I've not found the coop. What I thought the coop was turned out to be a fire. And <laughs> chicken just disappeared. Not exactly the same. Isn't, thing. isn't that isn't that in Fries of the Tomb Raider? There is a um. There is also an achievement that you get by throwing a chicken up in the air and shooting it with a fire arrow. <laughs> so yeah. Oh, That's literally like birds. clay chicken shooting. Wow. They're very chicken centric, and I think part of it had to do with the great reception that the chickens in the previous game, the reboot game. Had everyone was like, oh yeah, let's catch chickens, let's burn chickens, let's you know, grab, you know, you couldn't grab them in that game, but you could like shoot them and throw things at them. And- oh, it's it's yeah, lovely when chickens. it's lovely when a studio listens to their fan base. And these guys do, they really do. Yeah. <laughs> For I, better I, or I, worse. I, I honestly cannot remember much of the chickens in the first game. I say the first game, the first of the reboot. Yeah, most um, of them are in the um, in that mountain village area, like where you go and find Roth. Yeah, I remember that. And then yeah. I think there might be a few in Shantytown as well. Well, I'm Thank currently, I'm, I think I'm near the end of Tomb Raider, uh, Rise of the Tomb Raider, and I'm absolutely loving it. I'm I don't want to spoil it. it for you. We're not going to, I don't I think we can, I, Sam's desperate to play it. Um, yeah. Um, we won't spoil I've, it. No, we won't spoil it. We won't spoil it. We'll just, I mean, it's, I know you've read some of the reviews, Sam. We had a conversation the other day that some reviewers took issue with the fact that it felt like more of the same. Whereas you and I said that actually that's just what we wanted, really. I wanted, yeah. I also thought it sounded like, um, it reminded me more of classic games, like the way the plot was structured, which again, I won't give anything away, but there were certain um, twists and um, plot motifs, I guess you would say, where that very much reminded me of the classic game. So to me, again, plus. After the the first one, because previous to, I say, the, as, yeah, we've, I think from now on, if we say the first one, we're referring to the 2013 yeah. game. Because previous to that, I'd just finished the um, Tomb Raider Anniversary uh, Edition, which was on the Wii. Um, My condolences. <laughs> now, now I quite, in a strange way, I quite enjoyed that because the first, the first Tomb Raider game I played was Tomb Raider Two. Mm-hmm. That was the first one I played on PC. So for me, it was the opportunity of going from the first what was the first ever Tomb Raider albeit one that was slightly redone by the studio mm-hmm. or reimagined to them playing like their actual reimagining you know building something from the ground up of how they wanted the Tomb Raider to be and there were these quite like similarities between the two not just you know the moment when Lara kills someone for the first time but also that sense of discovery and having sort of this closed linear world just like open up at parts and you know get into deals with combat and all this kind of stuff and like when I played that game immediately when I finished it I think Chris was the same I was happy like being in that world again and being with that character and which is why I was really happy to hear that Rise of the Tomb Raider was kind of yeah it's a lot like the first game but we've refined it and made tweaks to it is that the is that the kind of feeling you get when you play it me sure yeah definitely oh i don't fault the game i think that anniversary was a really nice remake i just had a really hard time with the wii version in that certain section in the great pyramid where you have to climb up all those ledges and shoot yeah. the things and the ledges are retracting and you're trying that's, to do it with a wii mode a level. and it's just that's... really 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 hard so yeah i mean i like the game itself i persevered 
and the Wii was the only console I had at the time. Sure, so I was going on that sure. word. Um, I like the um, aspect of the um, archaeological tools in the Wii version yes, of Anniversary, yeah. where you like brush off dust and you know you spin puzzle dials and stuff like that. That was that, that was, was cool. a really nice touch. And there was a bit of that in the in the 3DS Tomb Raider games, uh, where you did a I think you did a bit of archaeology that way, like you could scrape oh, stuff yeah, off with yeah. a stylus. A, um, yeah. Those games weren't so good. Though. No, uh, well, Sam, actually, Sam, we've forgotten. We've actually, put, we actually recently completed you and I a Tomb Raider game, but we forgot that it was part of the Tomb Raider because it's called a Lara Croft game. Yeah, which is, I suppose their <laughs> way of delineating um, yeah. from the new rebooted Tomb Raider, Lara Croft and the Temple of Osiris. Stella is what Sam oh, and I yeah. played. Mm-hmm. We completed it in how and how how many minutes? I don't know. It wasn't. It's not the longest game. No, it really isn't. Um, we, it's so much so we completely kind of expunged it from our memory, really. Um, Did you play um, the previous one? Yes, the, and, um, I, and I liked the previous yeah. one. I really enjoyed that sort of... I think me and Dan, another member of the Staying In team, we played that one through from start to finish. And I don't know, that was just really enjoyable, like a nice mix of puzzles and fighting mm-hmm. and you know exploration kind of like a bite of what the tomb raider and lara croft experience is and then for the second one for temple of osiris like it just kind of i don't know where they went wrong with it like that hub world just didn't feel all genuine and like it just kind of felt like it was missing something from it i enjoyed the game but i played um solo first and i thought that that was sort of um similar to um guardian of light yeah. um in the feeling of it like you said except for that hub world and there were there was like a lot more um treasures but they didn't seem to be too functional like you'd get these rings and you'd get these um amulets and they gave you powers but there were so many of them and it just got kind of chaotic so it was hard to um use them yeah. in a real strategic way so they were kind of just like accumulating in inventory <laughs> but then we played a four-player co-op and it was mayhem like yeah. we were laughing so hard yeah and having so much fun like just you know dropping each other into spikes and stuff like that we were laughing yeah. crazy but it was also really really glitchy like there were a few times where we got to the end of a level and then it would just reload at the checkpoint before the boss battle or (laughs) before the the run (laughs) across the collapsing tiles and you'd have to do some stressful thing all over again see that's exactly what i really liked about it like when we were all playing together like we started playing it as a four and then pete and dan who who chris and i were playing with dropped out because they didn't enjoy that mayhem and that silliness as mm-hmm, much as mm-hmm. i definitely did because I, even though the game mechanically pro- wasn't that good really i got more enjoyment out of like going on an, on this sort of adventure with friends yeah, and same. and like having the tools there to like when someone's across a rope just like letting the rope go midway and then doing that two or three times until it's not funny anymore. <laughs> until then... they hate you and rage yeah. quit <laughs> and don't come back. <laughs> like, and I don't know whether yeah. I'd love I'd love to talk to that studio to find out how if that was intentional. Where you know, did they ever think that? Hang on, this could be if you're playing with people that like that kind of humor this could really like stop the rhythm of the game and put some people off i wonder if they ever thought about about or whether it was completely intentional like them putting it in as a way to create these moments and like make it kind of funny when it wasn't meant to be i don't know in one of the interviews i heard with the developers and this was a while ago and i can't remember who it was that said it but they made up this word excuse me they made up this word coopetition which was like you're you have to cooperate in order to progress but you're also competing for points and you can you know drop somebody in spikes or whatever so they definitely had an inkling of what they were unleashing brilliant it makes it even more special now they know that they not only put it in like on purpose but made up a word for it <laughs> yeah great. now it's official right <laughs> and, and it was a lovely kind of uh metaphor for our friendship to see though who would kind of, who out of the four of us would kind of fend off the others right to kind of try you and get, get as much the, rewards you as get possible. all this triangulation when you play with more than two people and it's yeah. like yeah it gets fun i was usually the one who was getting angry like stop it <laughs> stop it <laughs> we need to move on <laughs> Yeah, and then there's always someone who gets um, corrupted by it. He'll try and go through it and just be like, I'll let let those guys have their fun. Let's just carry on with the game. And then they'll start dropping grenades or dropping people on ropes and they just get corrupted by the fun. The quiet, quiet, power-hungry type. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So, yeah, that was the last... That was the last uh, Lara Croft Tomb Raider game that I've I've played. Did Um, you guys play Lara Croft Go, the mobile game? uh, Yes. 
Christmas. You Eventually. Must. If you have not, you must. It's, it's really good. I mean, I found it, I actually found it a lot more accessible than Hitman Go, which I also enjoyed. I haven't played that um, yet. Hitman goes lovely. It's it's like having it's got this lovely aesthetic of being like a board game. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's really quite lovely actually. But um, Lara Croft goes just it's fantastic. It, it's it's kind of got that similar kind of isometric design, but um, it's just it strikes that lovely balance between something that is challenging but not too challenging. That mm-hmm. kind of happy balance between those two well, things. Well, it's and... turn based, so you exactly. do have time to think about what you're going to do. But it still feels sort. It feels very much like classic games. Like there's boulder traps and spike traps and things like that. And you'll move, and the boulder will follow you. But it only moves once a turn, so you still have this like time pressure building up. But yet you're not like going to step out and immediately get squashed. That kind of thing. So it's, it's really immensely... strategic. And it's immensely satisfying uh, when you kind of chuck a spear. That's an enemy. Mm-hmm. Um, you have the sound effects from the original Tomb Raider go, the secret sound effect um, that's kind of like uh, knitted into the DNA of my kind of my childhood. Really, that that that, that, that kind of that sound of curiosity being peaked. Mm-hmm. Those kind of um, those kind of echoes of the original games are just lovely, and it makes it a really um, gorgeous kind of thing to have on your phone or your tablet device. Isn't uh, it? Again, it's another iteration of Tomb Raider. Yeah, I was just going to say, like, isn't it a testament to that great character that we've got all of these different versions of her and the game, and yet it doesn't. At no point does it feel like there's been a sellout or they're just using her character to, you know, commercialize a product or something like. There's never. I'm trying to think of another franchise that has three different iterations of the same character like concurrently running like i know there was hitman go but that was just before the latest um hitman was released and i think they did the same for uncharted and they released an, an uncharted go alike it wasn't a, it wasn't called uncharted go but it was a similar sort of turn-based block-based mechanic mobile and now game. they have deus ex go and now as they have well. deus ex so but it's that, quite... again i don't think there's a lot of other stuff going on with that franchise no no, but so yeah, quite... Tomb Raider definitely lots of layers. But yeah, yeah, just like how many different layers? Like, do you focus on the combat, uh, which I think is kind of the focus of Temple of Osiris, um, or do you focus on the puzzling, which is kind of the purpose of Go? So on that, with like Rise of the Tomb Raider, is there? Do they kind of go well? If people want to puzzle with Tomb Raider, then they can play Tomb Raider Go, so you won't put as many puzzles in rise of the tomb raider is there ever is there still much of an imbalance like there was in tomb raider or is it or is the balance a bit more there with rise of the tomb raider in terms of like puzzling and rise of the tomb raider is still pretty combat heavy but i think as compared to the previous game the reboot game there are more puzzles i still you know maybe it's just that i've been playing these games for 20 years but i feel like they're not as difficult or as complicated you know like as challenging as previous um, iterations but i think the balance has skewed more towards puzzles a little bit are they are they not challenging because you because you have a bit more access to like the theory and the what well so like in uncharted for example the challenges are puzzling but you know you've got your notebook there and essentially like you've got peak characters there that will give you hints after a while is that why they're easier is it or is it just because the puzzles are Easier. I think that they are easier um, <clears throat> in general. Like they're just set up easier. They don't have yes. as many moving parts. You don't have to um, go find something far away, bring it back, use it. Find another thing, bring it back, use it. Mm. There's not all that. Um, like in the old Tomb Raider games, where you'd have to like go to far, f- far flung area, find a key that would help you open a door that would let you, you know, move on. There's not a whole lot of that. Mm. And um, the other thing that really peeves me, and you know, I love this game. I have to say, I love it. I love Rise of the Tomb Raider, but a thing that really peeves me is this survival instinct, which you can disable, but it lets you yeah. see what parts move. So if, say you go into a puzzle room and you press this button and it highlights the um, moving parts, like anything gears, um, something that you could burn, <clears throat> excuse me, any um, anything that you can interact with is highlighted, which is great. So you can see what moves and, and how you can approach the puzzle. But at the same time, Lara will start talking to you and say, I can use this lever. I could set that on fire. Like right. she started, she gives you verbal hints that you cannot turn off unless you completely disable survival instinct. So that really bugs me. Right, yeah, I think it's funny actually, because we spoke last time we spoke still about this. I remember we kind of both agreed that, it, that there was a bit too more skewing towards the combat, which I still enjoy. I enjoy the combat. But mm-hmm. for me, what brings me to Tomb Raider is the puzzles. And, mm-hmm. um, and they've kind of, they've kind of, offset that now with side quests in Rise mm-hmm, of the Tomb Raider. Mm-hmm. Um, 
to a character you'll you'll meet a character and if you want to rather than pressing on the narrative you can kind of go into a side quest and those side quests generally aren't puzzle heavy they're just more go and um, fetch me this or do this and generally you're more likely to encounter combat on those side quest missions than you are say something puzzly and to echo what Stella said the, the kind of puzzles themselves are in that they're in these little contained bubbles but it's still the same kind of you discover a hidden tomb and you know that everything pertaining to that puzzle is in that tomb. It's not like the Opera House in Tomb Raider 2 where you're literally going back and forth. A, a lever in one postcode will <laughs> open a door, um, <laughs> you know, about half a mile away and you've got 30 seconds to get there before it swings shut again. Yeah, and none it's, of that and, and it's about trying to unpick this level, unpick this puzzle that you're actually in at the same time. Whereas this, Rise of the Tomb Raider and Tomb Raider before it, it gives that slightly easier perspective of being able to stand outside the puzzle looking in on it and the survival um, mode um, which is just triggered by the pressing of a button, will um, highlight those key aspects of a puzzle. But crucially, the more stuff you unlock, it also highlights other things like animals nearby. Um, so it actually gets easier, the survival mode, throughout the more you unlock, mm-hmm. um, which is another thing that makes it easier in that regard. How how do you begin by writing a walkthrough? Is there a particular methodology? Is there a kind well, of, my, is it just a simple case? My methodology has evolved a little bit over the years. And, you know, generally what I do is I will do a full playthrough first just to get a feel for the game and see what's what. And then, you know, make sure I eke out my 100% so I know where everything is. And then replay and, you know, make notes as I go along, do screenshots as I go along. And even the classics, like people are still sending me tips like how to do some section better or how to streamline the order of playing things and so i you know i changed the old ones even now but i think the these last two games with the survival instinct and this verbal hints from our friend lara people don't need walkthroughs as much for the um for the you know basic stuff but what they do need is help like with 100 percent. like where do i find these lanterns to shoot for the challenges where do i you know how do i get all the documents that kind of thing does that affect how much enjoyment you get from the game like playing it knowing that you're actively searching for everything rather than just enjoying the experience for what it is well that's why i usually do a playthrough first and that's my fun time you know and then i kind of get down to the nitty-gritty and see what's what but but still does that sort of harm like the way because i just finished the witcher 3 but Mm -hmm. if i knew i'd have to go and play through it again but looking through everything that would still sort of tarnish my first experience of playing it if that makes sense to me i don't think it does and i think the reason is that part of what is fun about those games to me is knowing that i'm going to do that like the walkthrough process to me is a fun time or i wouldn't have been doing it for this long so it's sort of like a puzzle in itself like how do i break this down so that people can get help you know how do i how do I set, how do I play through this in the most organized way with the least backtracking? That's sort of a puzzle in and of yeah. itself. So I get satisfaction cha- from that. Does it change the way you play other games? I don't play that many other games, so I don't think it does. Um, maybe you know in some subtle way, but mm. you know usually I separate the two. Like some games I just play for fun, and some yeah. I play. But I did walkthroughs for Lego Indiana Jones too. So, and that started out as a fun playthrough, and then I decided, oh, this is so much fun. I think I'll do a walkthrough. <laughs> so that's my, other, you know, I I have a few other side projects, but everything else really I just in- play for fun. I think that's really interesting. Oh, because it's interesting because you were saying there that actually that, that particular game, that, Indiana, that Lego Indiana Jones, became so fun that, that prompted you to want to do a walkthrough. That's almost like. Um, kind of like almost like a byproduct of the fun I well find that's really the thing with tomb raider too it's like share with the joy you know like i love this game so much i'm going to help you love it i don't want you to be frustrated i don't mm. want you to throw it down and discuss like that's what happened to my husband did i tell you this story chris you um, told me this a few years ago i don't think sam's aware podcast, of this, yeah so. i don't know if okay, sam heard it. this maybe but um my husband got tomb raider before i did his friend gave it to him the original 1996 tomb raider and he got stuck in the palace midas with those fire pillars there's a similar section in anniversary where you have to jump across the pillars to get the lead bar without getting um set on fire so he was so mad he rage quit literally he tried like 50 times rage quit threw the game in the garbage and said i'm never touching this again (laughs) (laughs) so i literally pulled the game out of the trash and started playing it so that's how i came to tomb raider but my point um the ultimate point was 
for me, it's like I share the joy by helping people not get stuck and helping people not rage quit and get frustrated. That's really good. I remember when when I started playing games, and one of the first games that I played was um, The Secret of Monkey Island on PC. Oh, that's a great game. It's a great game, but it's one of those ones where some of the puzzles are kind of You need a walkthrough. You really need a walkthrough or guess what the developer was thinking at this point in time that they wrote this puzzle. And especially when when I was playing it, I was like 10 years old. And there's this one section where you have to do something and you have to like get the hair of the dog in order to do lift this curse off of you or something and i had no and there's idea there's not a lot of context for a 10 year old yeah I d- yeah that's just what is the hair of a dog like <laughs> just going up to the dog all the time and like trying to interact with it and not getting anywhere um but i had to in order to get a walkthrough i had to ring up my game local game shop and um for 5p a sheet they had to print out for me the walkthrough for that particular part of the level so like if for 5p i could get one a4 sheet of like and it would just cover whatever was on that a4 sheet which is a printout from a walkthrough on the internet because i didn't have the internet at home and so i had to hope that like the walkthrough got me through on that one a4 piece of paper uh unless i needed to spend another 5p to get more of them or um, god forbid buy an expensive magazine that had a hint that, that had it in, in the back yeah, right yeah, yeah. Those were the days dial-up corner store. <laughs> have, you heard, have you heard that they've... Um, apparently, they brought that back in for 24 hours in um, parallel with the new um, uh, NES console that they've brought Oh, out, yeah, yeah. That they've brought back the 24-hour helpline for 24 hours for people to ring up. If they've got any problems with any of the 30 preloaded games, they can ring up and uh, request assistance. Blast from the past. Yeah, which I think is really nice. Yeah, I just used to run a helpline back in the day. I never called it, but the number was on the back of the games. That just, no one would do that now, would they? That's just like a complete nah. and utter like dinosaur of a, of a, uh, of like a way to run your, I'd love to talk to someone who wor- who would have worked for one I of I want to be the, the operator on that line. <laughs> <laughs> just have to, people just have your number on you? speed dial. <laughs> I'd love, I'd love to talk to someone just like, to speak to a frustrated teenager about their game and why they can't right. get through. Calm down. <laughs> Can you send me a screen grab? Right? Just, no, I can't. Just a ten-year-old having to describe with vivid detail right? what it is they can I'm see on the their screen. I'm in the place with the fire. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's 1995. I can't send you a screen grab. Or you, or you could just be the one person, like on a production line. Your job is like level 1.2. Right. You don't right. Deal Everybody with 1. who gets stuck in Midas 1. has to call you. Yeah, do you think like press before you start? Press one for level one. Press two it's... for level two. Yeah, exactly. It's like that. But that, but for me, like that's what made um, certain moments of, especially like playing Tomb Raider and Metal Gear Solid. Like those are those fun moments where at school you'd have like your Stella, someone who's played it and knows the right, secrets, right. and you go up to them and try and like get information out of them. Or like in Metal Gear Solid, where there's that thing where in order to call one of the characters their frequency was on the back of the box and you know you go to school and one of your friends would have figured out that that's where the frequency is so you go to school and you find it out and then it's like waiting six hours until you can go home to like work your way through the problem again and find the solution like and like, they would think... extort candy out of you in order yes, to tell you yes. about it yeah <laughs> <laughs> definitely um but I do, I do kind of, because now I was, as I said, like I was playing The Witcher and um, like if I ever got like mildly frustrated with, with, with a mission or for something, like I'd just go on my phone, look up a walkthrough and be able just to skip through it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, I don't, I don't know where that kind of mindset comes from, that I've just like lost my appetite for discovery and just like trying to like search for a solution or like try and pickpocket a level so I could just work through it without just like going on my phone and cheating. Does it, is it cheating? It is and it, it isn't. I mean, part of it is that who has time? Like, you know, if I'm lucky, I play two hours of games a day. If I'm lucky, you know, that's a good day. No. So I can't be, um, you know, banging around <laughs> that long unless it's but, Tomb Raider. But I worry that it shows that I'm not enjoying the game. Mm-hmm. I'm just or I don't trust the game. Like I've played I I used to play a lot of games for review and there comes a point where you play a lot of games that are broken or something doesn't load or because something doesn't trigger here it means you can't get 
to another part of the level. Um, and I think at some point I've kind of like lost my trust in a game where if I can't find my way through it, then I've almost got to check that, oh, is this because something hasn't spawned or... Am I dumb or is it a bug? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Is it me or is it the game? Um, <laughs> Um, with Tomb Raider it's usually a bug <laughs> come on my site I'll tell you, you how to get around it because yeah. you used to list a lot of, I remember on your website you list lots of bugs I uh, do have uh, pink text about... so you can scan down and see what's a bug and what's you <laughs> is that something that you discover incidentally while playing for you discover a bug usually it's people, people write me and they say I can't yeah. do this okay. yeah. people or is it just something that you actually actively seek do you seek out occasionally and... I run into things by accident but 99% of the time somebody writes me after the walkthrough is posted and says I'm stuck here this cyborg won't jump out of the pit so I can't kill it you know in red alert in Tomb Raider Chronicles what do I do you know is this my game is broken and then I know yeah. there's a bug and then I experiment and figure out how to fix it yeah I think if you went through a game like hunting out bugs you oh that's a level of pardon me that's a level of kind of really intrinsic and like dissection of a game that i couldn't like some people it's... love that kind of stuff oh yeah yeah, I, yeah. You know, well, it's whatever. like the whole q a process isn't it like that's what that centers around is just like trying to push a game to its to its limits and like speed runners as well it's like that's mm -hmm. the things mm -hmm. that they take advantage of um, yeah, people have asked me, wouldn't you love to be a QA tester at Crystal Dynamics? I'm like, no, I would not. I want the game done. Thank you. <laughs> I, I don't have the patience for that. Yeah, but yeah, just doing it two hours a day. Yeah. That would be, Maybe, be yeah. really time yeah. consuming. How has the community changed? Has the community changed at all? Um, the community is the same. It's just bigger. And um, okay. one thing I've noticed recently, which is kind of unfortunate, but it's just like a magnified version of what has gone before, is that there's this unfortunate um, tension between some hardcore Tomb Raider fans from back in the day and fans of the newer games. Like some people came to Tomb Raider with the reboot, and that's the first yeah. Tomb Raider they ever played. And they're fans of that series, and they don't know anything about the previous series. And I love them all, and I love them all equally, you know, basically equally. But, you know, there is some hostility, which I don't like and I don't like to um, get into. Like, I don't no, like to inject myself into those situations. I don't defend people who um, who take a position and won't listen to other people because I think yeah. that's counterproductive. But, no, um, you know, other than that, I think fans love it. And they, you know, like you said, there's so many iterations now and so many ways to come into the series that the fandom is just a huge version of what it always was. I mean, um, I don't like to give too much energy to the conflict because I don't like to promote no, that. Not. But like, there's this, there are factions of people who are just like really anti-new Lara, or anti-classic Lara. Like, I find these games broken and pixelated, and I'm not interested. You know, and that's fine. That's your position. But you know, be kind to other fans who may disagree. Yeah. Well, I think it yeah. would be sort of wrong on the character of Lara if she didn't change over the past twenty years either. Um, there wouldn't be games like nobody no. would be buying them if they were still Tomb Raider three. Things must yeah, evolve, well, exactly. you know. And I think I think Lara because she was very much a product of of the time of this like burgeoning female empowerment mm -hmm. in, in in the UK. Yeah, like but the also... cool chick. She was that, you know. Now she that would be antiquated and silly if she was still yeah. like that. Yeah. If she was still like that, but but of, as a part of that of part of that time where there was sort of. A, um, sort of an undercurrent of you know uh, women rising up and like taking their place within sort of commercial gaming and, and sort of the wider media anyway but also being overtly sexualized and I think if we still had that Lara now I don't think she would be as popular as as um, as she still continues to be it's important um, to distinguish between the games and the marketing yeah like, I agree with you in principle, but part of what's going on, part of what was going on there was that the marketing department did not play the games. They just saw, oh, there's breasts here. <laughs> Let's advertise. <laughs> well, yeah, you, yeah. Had, you had the whole, you had like the Lara Croft model, which was something that was, yeah. I think, that yeah. went on for many years, yeah. I think. Yeah. Um, I think uh, what, Legend, I guess, was the last one. Yeah. But, you know, even then, the newer models, they were, they were athletic and, you know, actual gymnasts and stuff like that. But, um, yeah, just the idea of having somebody dress up to promote and just like walk, strut around you know like now they have cosplay models who come and you know represent at conventions and stuff but they're like you know they're like artists in their medium and a lot of them are really athletic and you know doing other stuff on the side and not just like standing there being pretty they're like action-packed 
but still it's like you know the marketing is separate from the games it's kind of weird how it how it all has kind of how lara in herself is almost like over the last 20 years reflected quite a lot of what the video game industry is kind of stood for really and like going from you know you know just a character which she kind of just started out to be and now like as we've moved on and like to latest sort of rise of the tomb raider where there's a lot more focus on you know characterization and story and you know when you get people like rihanna pratchett writing for a computer game and you know that open world and their hubs and there's dlc and like how she's gone from a representation of what games were to being very much at the forefront of games now and you think of like even someone like mario is not really has not really done that like even mm-hmm. though mario is still very much a you know a video game character that's still as relevant as he was you know even 30 years ago like he's not he's still nintendo kind of still make mario games with you know this is a formula that we stick to and this is a mario game whereas lara croft is still kind of well we can put her in any game and we can do anything with her um and that's kind of testament to to who she is really Definitely. As you were leading up to your point, I was thinking Mario before you said Mario. <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself, um, Lara Croft, you know, if you showed Mario's inner journey and Mar- Mario's like family issues, <laughs> like nobody would want to play that. Crap. Yeah, exactly. That's true. <laughs> so, yeah, certain certain characters, I think, lend themselves um, more to like a deeper, a deeper uh, look or whatever. Yeah. That's true. That, I mean, I'd, true. I'd love to see some kind of existential interrogation of Mario's Mario. life and well there you know, was that movie life. there was the Mario Brothers movie with there was uh, touche, yeah, that's true. John Leguizamo <laughs> that kind I mean, of made us all all look inside right? ourselves for watching it rather than right? looking, look at Mario I think very um, self-reflective yeah <laughs> <laughs> I'm excited at the moment because there's a book um, that is being released um, that kind of commemorates the 20 years of Tomb Raider. The book is what really, particular- really great. And if you don't have it, I highly recommend it. And, you know, I don't generally can- plug Amazon. You go to your local store if you can. But Amazon has it pretty cheap. And it's well worth it. It's like 360 pages. It's a hardcover. And it's so- there's so much stuff in there. It's so awesome. Buy it. What I love is it, it's very kind of fan focused. Definitely, I mean, there's lots of guest fan editors, including yourself, I believe, were an editor. I do have a little well. section, yes, and I did help with the proofreading. So blame me if you see typos. <laughs> <laughs> um, what was that like as a project to be a part of? Really? It was awesome. Yeah. I, I can't talk about it too much because of an NDA no, of course. agreement that I had to sign, but it was really great. And um, Megan Marie, who is the community manager for Tomb Raider at Crystal Dynamics, she wrote the book, and she did an amazing job. And there's just so much information in there. She spoke to developers from the old days and the new days, and she um, got a lot of fan interviews, and there's lots of um, – like screenshots and of unreleased games there were like a few things that were were pursued but not completed things like the core design anniversary game and um, a couple of other things that just um didn't quite fly but there's little snippets of those old projects that were never released so it's so much cool stuff definitely look at it and how much of that stuff were you aware of in your own experience most of it i was aware of but details you know there were details that just weren't released because of you know secrecy reasons like um i guess legally they couldn't put out any information about the the core design anniversary game which was never published and i think now i guess the statute of limitations or whatever has worn off so now we can talk about that stuff and it's cool and a lot you know people who worked at core design during the rough transition after angel of darkness um, you know, they didn't want to be spiteful, but they wanted to tell their stories because that was an unfortunate time in the history of the series. And they yes. had their chance in this book. There's some stuff that you haven't heard before. And, you know, most of those guys look back fondly, but you can't blame them for being sad. They they had uh, the best game and then they lost it. But there's plenty of positive stuff, too. So, yeah, well worth oh, wow. well worth reading if you're a Tomb Raider fan. I will definitely be purchasing that. It's huge. It's real. I mean, I can't. I can't, <laughs> I can't underestimate how big it is. There's so much stuff. It's full color. It's, a tome. it's like over 250 pages. It's just immense. Wow. It's awesome. Did I say 250? I think it's 360. I think yeah, it's 360. It's pages. a huge. It's a huge book. Wow, there is a lot to cover though. You know, yeah, over 20 there, years, I guess. 
And it has everything. Lot- it has like all the console games, all the PC games, all the um, handheld games. It has things about the comics and the movies, you know, everything. Everything in the Tomb Raider universe is covered. The fan sites, um, cosplayers. I don't know. I'm going to forget something important, but it has everything. So it's essentially, literally, if I forward somebody out of a glacier and I needed to introduce them to Tomb Raider, it's a, it's I'm, assuming that, I'm assuming they can grasp the English language. I, I would hand them this book. Bachman, this is of... Tomb Raider. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this could be a plot in a Tomb Raider adventure. And right. They, once they've gone through the 360 pages, they will be, it's kind of, is it, could we call this the kind of Tomb Raider Bible for once? Yes, I guess you could do that. Wow. It doesn't have commandments or anything except no. enjoy this game. <laughs> Thou shalt enjoy Tomb Raider. One thing I'm reading about this moment, I'm fascinated by this. You've just completed a, a gaming marathon for charity. I did. Every year. What was that like? If you don't, great. you do want. So this is an annual thing. Yeah, it's awesome, and it's uh, it's in the book. If you want to read my section, it's one of the things I talk about in the book. But um, it's called Extra Life, and it's not just me. It's not just Tomb Raider. It's gamers from all over, and it's based here in the United States. That's where it started, and it's basically a marathon. But it's a 24-hour game marathon where you play the game of your choice. It can be a computer game, a console game, desktop. Um, you know, card games, role-playing games, board games, anything you want to play. And you get sponsors like it as though it were a walkathon or something like that. You know, you, you get people to um, sponsor you to play and they c- contribute money and the money goes to Children's Miracle Network Hospitals. And that's like a network of children's hospitals all around North America. So Fantastic. then you get your donations and you play your games and you do good. It's like gamers getting together to do do good. Uh, what's that like to play a game for 24 hours? Is I it the same game or do you mix it up? I don't marathon. You know, I usually don't marathon myself. But what we'll do as the Tomb Raider team is we'll get a whole bunch of people together, like a dozen or more, and we'll take turns. So I'll be awake, but we'll take turns playing. And somebody will play Tomb Raider 1, somebody will play, you know, Temple of Osiris or whatever. Sometimes we do some co-op stuff. And it's basically a chance for the community to get together and I'll be on Twitch and we chat. And we usually have a prize raffle, which we did this year. So people can sign up for that to win cool stuff. And it's basically, you know, to raise money for, for kids in hospital. And it's just a great time. But some people do marathon. Like we have one um, team member, Dreyu, she streams on Twitch. And she um, played 24 hours straight with a few short breaks. And she was doing a Tomb Raider 3 no loads, no meds run where she started at the beginning of the game. And she just played straight through until she died. And then she started over again. Oh, wow. And she made That's it like very far. Day. <laughs> She's amazing. Or, dare I say it, spoilers, Doctor Strange, Sam. Ah, uh-huh. yes. yeah. Yeah, it's, that's, I don't know what that'd be like, that kind of reiteration of the game. It's that's, kind of cool, it makes you nervous though. Like, she was getting to the point where she, um, she played through to, I guess, the South Pacific, the first South Pacific level, which is like, I don't know, maybe a little more than a third of the way through the game, and she died. <laughs> And then she started over again. And then when she got to that point again in the game, it was like very tense. Would she die again in the same place? And she made it farther than that. But, you know, again, she'd been up for like 20 hours. So it's like, here, you're trying to do this thing and it's stressful and you haven't slept. And it was just really tense, but exciting. And screen as well. Yeah. It's fun to watch. Oh, my word. But she raised a lot of money. You know, people donate for that. That sounds a lot more fun than, I don't know if you ever heard of the game that gets marathoned quite a lot called desert bus i think i feel like i've heard of that but i don't yeah, really know much about it's it it's a game that i think was designed by penn and teller oh. you know, the magicians mm-hmm. and the the game and chris you'd love this the game is just a bus that takes a literal real-time it. journey from i think it's almost like one end of the united states to another or for, or like covers a whole state and the journey takes about eight hours or something like that but the the core bit of game design is that the um, the uh, steering on the bus is made to always lists to the left, so you can't just sit there and you hold can't it. Let it go, right? You have to control you've got, it. You've got to completely like if you're playing it, you've got to be completely like readjusting the steering wheel. And I think once a year or or uh, once every couple of years, there's a group of people who marathon desert bus. And just like literally just playing this really monotonous, like at some points, like a bug will hit the windshield and that'd be the most that ever happens. 
like in the whole of this. That's so like it's not Andy like, Warhol's it's... movie of the guy sleeping for eight hours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so it's not like it's not like the, the hazard perception test, Sam. We have in England for when you're driving tests. That you have this kind of <laughs> video of a car, and you have to click a mouse every time you think a hazard, would, a potential hazard, could happen. No, and it, obviously it's loaded with hazards, but this is just an open road, literally. It's just literally Nothing just happens. an open virtual road that you're going down, and 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 I think because it's of this this game that it's just considered like the most boring and uninteresting game they these people marathon it play it endlessly for a couple of nights even or like i think i don't know what the world record is i'd have to i'd have to look it up but uh that would be hard yeah i need more entertainment than that if i'm gonna stay yeah 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 Yeah. i mean be great is it can you play it portable could you actually play it while on a bus no meta that'd be very meta meta. (laughs) that puts my own i'm being very shameless here that puts my own marathon all these it's all these tales of marathons put my own my own marathon pales into insignificance really because uh um i didn't do anything for any didn't do my half marathon for anything altruistic i just i did it for myself and i feel really bad maybe i should have i made think more that's of it, really. fine though because you know you actually did run <laughs> i sat on my butt for like run. three days <laughs> you did you, you did some I did exercise run, and you did it for yourself I, to be better than you had been i did so i did and I, I ran in freezing cold in lancaster mm-hmm. uh I ran, it began and ended in a castle, which was pretty cool. Um, and I, out of all the 500 runners that took part, I was the only one, I can say categorically, that was eating while running. Next time, I have an uh, idea, Chris. Next time, sign up for Extra Life. Find a marathon yeah. that's in that in the same season, you know, sometime in October or November. Yeah. Get your sponsors and then play mobile games while you run around the marathon. Yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> That'd be incredible. Send in selfies, oh. you know, from along the route. Like, here I am at mile 12. I'm playing what Lara game Croft could Go. I play? Yeah. That'd be incredible. Yeah, Lara Croft Go would be brilliant. I would sponsor Although... you for Chris, that. I totally would. Chris, I'm just reading a bit more about Desert Bus, right? So, yeah. um, the world record is currently 159 hours nonstop. Oh, my word. And so, this is part of a Sega CD game called Penn and Teller's Smoke and Mirrors, right? And so, the journey is. Uh, you go from Tucson, Arizona to Las Vegas, Nevada. You travel at 45 miles per hour, which is fixed. And, <laughs> and the game can't, Yeah, and the game can't be paused, and it takes eight hours to make this journey. The I'm reading this off Wikipedia. I do apologise. The bus contains... The game can't be paused? No. What if you need to have a bathroom break? <laughs> you just you <laughs> you you carry on because, 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 and this is the great thing, if the bus veers off the road, so the bus is constantly veering uh, left or right, it, the bus will stalls and then you get to be towed back to Tucson also in real time. Oh, oh no. If, if the player makes it to Las Vegas, one point is scored. The player then has the option to make the return trip to Tucson for another point. A decision which must be made in a few seconds or the game ends wow uh, players oh, no. may continue to make trips and score points as long as their endurance lasts um that's incredible i guess if you had people in the room with you you could switch off driving just you know let them sit at the controls but it's not something you could play with your online friends i guess no i Is mean it- i i recently watched um a documentary on netflix uh, man versus snake about the um it's about the world record attempt for nibbler uh which is a really old it's basically nibbler's famous it's like snake if you've ever played snake Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and it's really famous arcade game because it's the only arcade game uh that was ever made where you could score a billion points like they built it into the game that there was enough um, digits on the high score to get a billion and so uh in the uh, late sort of 70s early 80s there's this one kid in america who was came who became like the first person to score a billion and in order to do that you need to be playing for about 48 hours straight like 35 to 40 hours um and it's really interesting because he did this this um guy did this when he was about 16 or 17 just like went to an arcade and just stayed there for two days um and then like the whole documentaries about um this same kid who's now like 40 um uh sort of in his mid 40s like trying to do that feat again and like so he gets a nibbler machine into his home and he tries to break the world record for this feat and it's really interesting but and that's like two days of endless like playing this game it's really interesting the way they do it because basically he has to build up lives so he gets like 99 lives in order to take a break he has to like let the machine like kill itself right oh. and like takes a break while the lives go down um oh my word like, that would be a challenge and then yeah some. that 
that's that's like it's, almost, it's, it's the kind of gaming equivalent that's trying to scale Everest. I mean, psych- not just the physical thing act of the dexterity required, but the psychology of say getting forty-seven hours in and not succeeding. Mm. That that I just preparing yourself for that. It's that's intense. extraordinary. Yeah, like yeah. how like he like like the preparation that he does for it, and another guy they do that like they have to put in to do it um it's 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 just incredible and like finding the breaks that one guy gets 30 hours into it and because it's a really old arcade game the game just freezes um and like at some points when the guy's actually going for one of his record attempts like he works like a dead-end job and he's like works like 12 hours a day like he only he only has like easter and christmas breaks to put into making it so even for him like it's even more of a bigger deal and between and almost like between rounds he has to take the arcade machine apart and like like remove the dust from it and like oil the joystick and like it's, it's an incredible feat i recommend wow. anyone like watch the um i don't th- i don't know if it's on us netflix but i'm sure i'm sure it is because it's a us what is it man versus snake a man versus snake yeah cool really interesting and it's like the only thing that nibbler's famous for and they have the two people who like who invented nibbler on the on the documentary and that you can kind of see that like like they kind of wish this wasn't the only thing that nibbler was famous for <laughs> like they wish like like there was some like gameplay virtue in this snake snake game but nobody uh, actually liked this game but at least two people ruined their lives for it yeah well well more than that like it's become i think the record but this guy was so famous for becoming a billion like he had a he had a whole day named after him um in in a small town where he grew up um uh, they have like a whole like celebration for what for what he achieved um it was brilliant I mean, was was he hoping that, like, in the kind of similar vein to the last Starfighter, that when he got to a billion points, this kind of alien race would come down and say, "Now you are worthy to help us face off." This. <laughs> yeah, what happens when you do beat the game? What's, One what's, billion. What, what's brilliant is like it gets to a billion and the score just like ticks around. It's not like Donkey you Kong. You decide where... if you want to go back to Tucson. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you have one, one point. point. Um, and like the first time he broke the record, apparently he got to a billion and just stood up and walked away, even though he got like lives left. And he says that he um, goes home and his mum just like wonders where he's been. It's just like oh, I've just been at the arcade, and she's just like, oh, do you want some dinner? And he's like, yeah, some macaroni cheese. And he says he goes into his room, just sits on his bed, and like falls instantly asleep, and then wakes up and then goes outside. I interviewed, I interviewed a. um, Where's my macaroni uh, and cheese? Psychologist. That was like twelve hours ago. (laughs) (laughs) Like you just, you just been asleep for like the last twelve hours after playing this game for two days. Like it's it's incredible. Basically, the gaming world will bleed into your everyday life, and you'll start seeing aspects of the game there so the example one of the authors gave me was he played splinter cell the stealth action game for a prolonged period of time and then he put down the control he went out to go to the bank i don't know to pay a bill or something and as soon as he walked in he realized that as soon as he walked in that he was he was basically surveying where all the the security cameras were in the building without realizing just naturally that's something he would do in the game and that had kind of bled into his real life and that's just that's something that makes you think of when you're playing games for such a prolonged period of time where where the gaming world there's no clear kind of delineation between the gaming world and real world i mean that guy must have seen snakes just everywhere in kind of any kind of grid-like <laughs> pattern i guarantee that would have happened it happens and to me all the time with tomb raider all the time like you know how in rise of the tomb raider there's those nests that you shoot down to get feathers so you can make arrows yeah it's like i'll see a bird's nest up in a tree i'm like oh i can shoot that down get arrows <laughs> <laughs> The chicken's looking at you very strangely. You know, could I hang from that ledge? How long could I hang from that ledge? (laughs) I I get that with Assassin's Creed a lot. Like, um, just just like looking at a building and going, yeah, I could climb up that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Stella, there's been a few times when I've driven around to Sam's house and I've I've seen him on top of the chimney. Right. (laughs) Just perched there. Doing recon. Swan diving. Swan diving. That was Staying In with Sam Turner, special guest Stella, and myself, Chris Darby. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Visit stayingin.podbean.com for more information and links to the comics, movies, games, and more covered in this episode. And come find us on Twitter, at StayingInPod. Thanks for listening.